Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. This is from Genesis 15, 1 through 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliza of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and counted it to him as righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. Thanks for being here if you're online. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. And um, I, I, there's a book that I read years ago by a guy named A.W. Tozer. I think it's called The Pursuit of God. And his first line is, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And that's a line that has stuck with me that I think is is um, true in ways that like I can't grasp and and maybe we can't we can't grasp and I was listening to a guy um, yesterday talking and he he's the guy that wrote the um, the the ruthless elimination of hurry um, a couple years ago I read that book and mentioned it a handful of times but he was talking about spiritual formation which is kind of what we the words that we use for discipleship now but and he was saying everybody's being spiritually formed all the time, no matter what they believe. Like from the womb, we're being spiritually formed because that's who we are. We're spiritual beings, and it's so deep um, within us. And so this idea of what comes to our mind when we think about God like shapes us. And um, the, I was thinking about the parable of the talents, where Jesus gives three guys a, um, a talent, and, which was a, like a measure of money. And so they, then he came back. After a period, well, Jesus didn't, but it was a parable of like a, he comes back and one of them had made the talent 10 talents and another had made the talent five talents and another had said, well, I took the talent and I buried it in the ground and I'm just giving it back to you because I knew you were a hard man and you'd punish me if I failed. And Jesus said, like, that's how, it's how you think about God is how you're going, it's going to shape everything about how um, you live. So I really like think that, I buy that, I'm, I think, um, that makes sense to me. So um, what, what are some ways that people, what are some conceptions that people have about God? I mean, we have a conception because we're sitting here in this room and that is shaped by Scripture, but like, but even we have conceptions that are, are off, you know, and what, what are conceptions within our culture that people have about God? It's a real question. Pardon me? Oh, a genie in the bottle, meaning... Yeah, yeah, you do like, you do the right, kind of that, kind of like a health and wealth gospel, a prosperity gospel. If I do the right things, um, then God will bless that. What are some other conceptions? Harsh. Yeah, I had um, like crabby old guy God or get off my lawn God. Um, Like don't, kind of don't bother me God. What are some other conceptions? 
Yeah, that was, that's good. Like, yeah, he's got a lot going on. I'd, mine, like the one I came closest to on that is like a distant relative. He's somewhere out there. See him every 20 years or something. You know what I mean? But you're not really engaged in what's going on in your life. Yes, Santa Claus God. Maybe that goes along. Well, I had Santa Claus God, but in a different way. I also had like small-minded accountant God. Um, which was a line I think Brennan Manning used. Like, we think of God like a small-minded accountant that's just keeping a ledger, and he's getting ready to um, punish us. What are, any others? Oh, yeah, not a, yeah, if you think he's not there, that's totally going to shape how you live. Um, there's another one I had that's like a happy grandpa God, like, just kind of winks at everything you do, like, oh, shocks, kids will be kids, like, and doesn't really, doesn't really care. So I think that statement's true. I think the Bible, and, and particularly the story that we're going through with God's interactions with Abraham, tells us a whole lot about God. And, you know, the, part of the goal of that is to shape, to shape our lives. And so we're in this chapter, Genesis chapter 15. And coming into this week, like I like this chapter. Coming out of this week, I think it might be one of my, like, top five or ten favorite chapters in the Bible, and it's got so much. So, and the, the things that, that struck me about it are how it speaks to the, to the freedom that we have in, rela- in our relationship with the Lord, um, the challenge and the honesty of that challenge of our relationship with the Lord and the security that we have in our relationship with the Lord. So this is how it starts. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your reward will be very great. And it's not crystal clear what after these, like the, these things that it's after are. Um, but the week before uh, was when, last week was when he got in the, he lot got kidnapped and he went to, to war with five kings and went and got him and came back. And so it could be out, it's, it's some, those things are in the past, you know, and it's not totally clear what he's afraid of, but it could be that those kings are going to come get him, or it could be that he gave away, if you remember, he gave away a lot of money the last week, that maybe he's scared because, like, scarcity, he doesn't have enough, or maybe um, it's, he's, like, reflecting in the fact that he doesn't have a kid yet to become a nation, to get the land, whatever. But fear is a topic. And so last week I talked about how um, he had moved from fear to faith. Two weeks ago, he's down in, he goes to Egypt and he passes off his wife as a sister because he's afraid that someone's going to kill him to get his wife. And so there's fear. He's, mo- he's motivated by fear. Last week, he takes his hands off the situation. He seems to be motivated by faith and really trusting the Lord. But now he seems to move back, back to fear. And so that makes sense. Like I think a lot of times we take two steps forward and one step back in a relationship with the Lord. Um, but fear, and I think fear is never far never too far from us. So how many of you have fears that you think like affect your life on most days? Okay, yeah, I think it's most of us, if not all of us. And then I started to think about what we're afraid of, and then I, and then I, and then I went to Google to find out what we're afraid of. And there's like three different types of lists that I found. And so the first one, and this was pretty common, that the number one fear that people have was public speaking, which I thought was ironic, because I'm publicly speaking. I thought I was funnier than you guys did. <laughs> second one, the second one was heights, which might also be ironic. Uh, then on this list, it was going to the dentist, 
And I was like, I don't know, are people really scared of going to the dentist? And then I looked, and I was on a dentist's website, so I think that's why it was on there. But, but people are kind of scared about going to the dentist. Um, and then snakes, can I get an amen? Like, we should all be scared of snakes. Um, we were out to dinner last night, and I had forgotten this story, but Bobby Joe went to India on a missions trip years ago, and they had to use the bushes to relieve themselves, and she said they did that once, and like 10 minutes later, some of their hosts came back with a five-foot-long cobra that was in those bushes. Like, I would never go in bushes again, like, ever anything. I would just stay on the path. Uh, so snakes is a good one. Flying, um, drowning, needles, got honorable mention on those lists. Then there was a list that's like more... They do this every year, and I can't remember if this was 2023 or 2022, but corrupt government officials was at the top of the list. (laughs) I wonder why. Uh, And then people I love becoming ill, which in light of the last few years makes a lot of sense. Russia using nuclear weapons, um, which I I haven't thought of recently, but when the Ukraine thing kicked on, you know, there was a little bit of... um, Old boy over there in Russia seems a little nuts, and maybe that's what he's going to do. Um, People I Love Dying was on that list, and A Third World War was on that list, which I don't know how many people have had a fear of a third world war in the last, that might should be higher on your list then, because world wars, like you read about how World War I started, and some guy killed the Archduke of Austria, and, yeah, in Sarajevo, and, they, and it was so random because they tried to bomb him, and they, they missed him, and then later he was getting a sandwich, and they just happened to find him, and they killed him, and then it started a war. So, Taiwan, it could happen. Like, that's a legit fear. Okay. Um, but then I found a list that, um, that I thought really got into what, what we're really afraid of and what's going on with Abraham. So, change was one of them. And so I do think people fear change. Nate and I were having this conversation years ago, and I think it was like a business coach he had made a statement to him that people don't fear change, they fear transition. Oh, man, that makes a ton of sense. So I think we can all think of ways that our situation could change that would be favorable, that we would like to have, that we're not afraid of. But the steps of getting from where we are to there is the things that we're really afraid of. And so transition can be something that's, um, that concerns us, you know? So change. I was talking to Alan the other day, um, if you know Alan, he was, he was talking about a friend who he thinks is going to have to quit his job because it's just not a good situation. He really has no idea. He's going to have to change professions, what he's going to do next. And he's like trying to get himself up for that. And Alan's like, that sounds awesome. And I'm like, Alan, you are weird. And there's, no, there's just not many people like that, except maybe Nate. So change, most people are afraid of change and um, and so that's one. Loneliness is something that people are afraid of. And yeah, you can be surrounded by people and be lonely. I wonder if we're not lonelier per capita now than we've been in a long, long time, you know? Um, I remember hearing someone say years ago, uh, the only thing worse than being single and lonely is being married and lonely. And that being like, holy cow, you know, like, so loneliness is high on the list. Failure is one. Uh, that you haven't lived up to expectations. That things haven't gone the way that they're supposed to be. Uh, rejection is one. And maybe that goes with loneliness, but that somehow you're on the outside looking in. And I think a lot of people, um, you, you know, feel like that. Um, and so rejection and uncertainty. Like what's going to happen? It's really going to work out. Um, what does the future hold? 
And so these things, I think, are the, are hit closer to home. These are the things that keep you up at night. Um, and I think this is where we're at with Abram. So he's in the middle of this story, and it's a crazy story. He's gone out on a limb, and things haven't gone to this point the way he thought um, they're going to, and he's just not sure where it's going to go. So Abram, God says, fear not, your reward will be great, I'm your shield. And Abram, But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And so I think he's saying these things, like, I feel alone. Like, I thought we were in this together, but you were not with me. I continue childless. Um, I feel rejected. Like, am I still your guy? Is this still the plan? I feel like a failure because I don't have a child. And in that culture, that, that was a marker. And now he's amongst all these strangers in the land of Canaanites, and he and his wife don't have a child, and he told me I'm supposed to become a great nation, and what are we doing? And, I, and he probably feels a lot of uncertainty about the, the present and about the future and maybe even about his decisions in the past. And so I think, you know, a couple weeks ago I talked to, started out the sermon about how just made the statement following Jesus is hard and was looking for affirmation on that. And then I got to like following Jesus is harder than I thought it was going to be. And then following Jesus is harder than it ought to be, um, which is a hard thing to say. And I think that's it, like it's in this space where he is. And that's God puts us in those spaces because God's goal is for us to trust him more. And it requires these are you there moments for us to trust him more. And so this is Abraham. He's gone from the big city to the backwoods. He doesn't have a kid, and he's not getting any younger. His wife is probably still mad about the stuff that happened in Egypt and feels alone. And Abraham said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Which comes across as like, and another thing. Um, like he doubles down on it. So this is part of like the freedom of relationship in God is that God is safe, and we can say all sorts of things uh, to God. Um, if God is get-off-my-lawn God or distant relative God, Abram probably isn't having this conversation with him. And this is the, the first time in this story that it's recorded that Abram actually speaks to God. God has spoken to Abram, but Abram hasn't spoken to God, and this is where he starts, is with this um, hard stuff. And within it, I think, are those statements, I'm scared, I feel alone, I feel rejected, I'm concerned about failing, and the future seems completely uncertain. And specifically, it's like, I'm concerned, God, that you are failing me. And so God has a choice in how to respond to that, you know. And he doesn't, he doesn't like bellow out, how dare you question me, um, which you might could expect. I did think he kind of does that to Job at the end of that story, like, where were you when I created the earth? But, the, but he also, like, honors Job in all that Job has gone through. And so he doesn't, he doesn't do that here. And churches can put off a, how dare you question me? Then that could be God or it could be the leaders. And our, you know, it's like just a more and more thing. Like, how dare you question the leaders of the church that stand in that place? We can put off that vibe that the church can. And that's a, I mean, we've tried really hard not to do that. And that's a problem. Like, and that's personal. Like, when I was... Young, and even now, I can be an overthinker, so I wrestle with doubts, and have wrestled with doubts for a long time, and I think that's a barrier. If you feel like you can't wrestle with that, and there's no place for it, then it pushes you away where it could draw you close. I have a friend um, that I used to run with a lot, and is not following Jesus, and we, one day we were running, and he told me about how when he was um, 11 or 12, and he grew up in a, in a Methodist church, and he started having all these questions about God, and his parents brought the pastor over to the house, 
And the pastor basically said, well, just stop asking questions. And like, that was it for him. Like, that's it, done with church. Um, because that, that's what um, he was given. I sent something out last week in the weekly about spiritual formation of kids and how like, you really need to engage their questions and maybe ask them questions about what they believe and let them know like, people believe all sorts of stuff and you're in a bubble where people just believe this, but like, you're going to get out of that bubble and find out because if they find out without you engaging it, they're going to be like, wait, what were they hiding? Why didn't they tell me this earlier? And so that's, um, all of this is a big thing. And I've, I've tried over the years to go to the youth group on it like annual or every other year basis and just say, hey, have them write down some questions on a note card and pass it forward and I'll try and answer those questions and I, and I won't be able to answer all their questions. And I, but I want them to know it's okay to ask the questions and to have questions. And if you're not asking good questions, then you're not thinking about this thing hard enough because there's so much to it, you know? And so there's just a freedom in that. And God doesn't say, how dare you do that? But he also doesn't coddle them. He also isn't like, oh, man, poor Abraham, you got me there. Like, I'm really, really sorry. Like, that's not what he does. Um, I was, was listening to one pastor talk about this passage, and he couched the whole thing in doubt. And he said there's, a, like, a conservative answer to doubt, which is don't ask questions or how dare you. And then there's more of a liberal answer that's like, yeah, that's fair and because you should, have all, you should demand concrete knowledge and you have the right to understand what's going on and, you know, how dare you not let us in on and everything, and there's like a cynical response to all of it that says it can't be known, and that's why you don't know it. Um, and he actually went as far to say, is you should be cynical about your cynicism and open to the fact that underneath your cynicism is a gutlessness <laughs> that doesn't want to walk in faith. I'm like, wow, that's pretty true. So God responds in a way that's open to that in a safe, in a safe way, um, and there is freedom. And so this passage continues. Um, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and says, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And and so he just, he doesn't doesn't coddle him. He doesn't, like, how dare you him. He just kind of reiterates his promise and is like, there's only so much that you can understand right now. And so, um, like, I'm just going to reiterate my promise. And that doesn't, like, fix the problem for Abram. I mean, you think about in your doubts what could fix your problem and the Lord's showing up at the foot of the bed and telling you, I'm here, it's going to be okay. It tops on that list, but it doesn't really help Abram. Like, God does show up, and he still ends up with these doubts, because that's not really, more evidence isn't going to help the problem as much as we think it is, um, because presence is what we need, and like resting in God's presence, even when there's all sorts of uncertainty about what's going to happen next, is what we need. And then God brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So he reiterates his promise and basically says, listen, you can't understand all of this. But we're going to keep moving. Um, but I'm, I'm here and I'm with you. Are, are there th- so there's freedom in this relationship. Are you taking advantage of that, of that? It's a relationship. Are you taking advantage of that? Are there things that you want to say to God, but you don't think they might be appropriate to say to God? Or things that you just don't think he is the type of God that he wants to hear it. Or they're just things like you've gotten stuck in and you're not sure you want to go there. And it's been a while since you've like cleared the air with the Lord and you're really just going through the motions with him. Um, Because I I think this is a point in which he would say like say those things. Like that's a lot of what prayer is. A lot of prayer is 
intercession and asking God for things. A lot of prayer is just like the presence of God. Um, but a lot of prayer is like a lament of, I don't understand what's going on here, and I don't understand what you're doing, and just being, it's just being open. And that's all on the table. And in any relationship, when you've got those things inside of you and you don't say them, like what happens? They go someplace, and they spoil, and they come out someplace else in that relationship and in your life. And we don't need to do that because we have the freedom to to talk to them about it. And for folks that are newer following Christ, um, for you, because I think that's kind of surprising, because I think we do have a conception of like, how dare you? But God, this is chapter 15 in the Bible, and God's like, no, you can say it. And for people that are that are, have walked with Christ longer, I think it's a message like we need to hear because the longer you walk with God, the disappointments that you experience get deeper and the conversations get harder. And there's some layers you have to get through to even understand what they are. And so there's some things in your relationship with the Lord that have made sense and some promises that have come true, but there's some other things that make less sense now than they did then and you're still waiting on them. And you may wait on them until forever because Abram's still waiting on these promises when he dies. And that's part of this story, is that some things you're going to understand and some things you aren't, and to, and to cling to the Lord in the midst of all of it. Um, so when he says, I continue, I continue childless, uh, it's like you can just, to get to those statements, like he's thought about this a lot. <laughs> he's... He's laid awake in bed at night being like, I don't have a kid yet. Like, I don't know what's going on. You know, like there's, how long is this going to take? The heir of my house is this guy named Eliezer of Damascus. Like, I have thought this through. What are the options here? What could be God be doing? Because Lot doesn't seem like a good option to be my heir. That would be the, the natural heir, and I'm sure he thought that. But now it, that's not it. So it's some guy in Damascus, and Damascus is forever away. And so, like, he's thought through it, and is, there's an angst about it. Um, and then behold, you've given me no offspring. And there's a, when you look at this, there's a fascinating pause between the two verses where Abram speaks. Even what God says in the first place, where he says, uh, fear not, Abram, um, you're, I'm your shield, your reward will be very great, is almost like in the midst of your distress, someone coming in saying, buck up, little camper. And like sometimes you need something annoying like that to get you to be like, to tell the truth. You know, like, what are you talking about? And so he says, I continue childless. You know how they, when the counselors will tell you to use, like, I language and not you language? You know what I'm talking about? So, like, I feel, when you really want to say, you did this. You know what I mean? He goes from I feel to you did it. <laughs> like, and so the first line, it's, I continue childless. Like, he's doing good by the counselor. And then it says, and Abram said, and I looked at that and thought, it's like it's another thing. And then I listened to a guy this week, another pastor had put me on to this. And it's, this is what I put out in the weekly on Friday, was a guy that is a Hebrew guy. who was really good. And it's the, that podcast is the beginning of his stuff on Abraham, but you should listen to some of it. And so he said in the Hebrew when it goes, but Abram said, and then and Abram said, it means, it implies there's something happened in between there, but nothing happened in between there. So the only thing that could have happened is God is silent. So Abram says, well, I continue childless in the air of my house is Eliezer Damascus, like, and God's silent, and Abram gets a little salty and says, listen, you haven't given me a kid. 
And the whole thing is like God's drawing it out of him. Buck up, little camper. Well, I don't have a kid yet because you haven't given me one. Like God wants him to do it. And that's freedom. God wants relationship with you. He wants you to bring it out and to say it and to tell the truth and to be honest with those things. And it's everywhere in the Bible, right? Abram, in a few passages, is going to plead for, um, for Sodom and for Lot before the Lord. Moses is going to plead for the, the Israelite people when they're in a desert. And then Moses is going to be like, show me your glory. Uh, the Psalms are, so many of the Psalms are like, God, things are really hard right now, and I don't know where you are in it, but I know you've been good in the past, and so I'm going to trust you. But some of the Psalms are, God, things are really hard right now, and I don't think you're in any of it, the end. And those are some of my favorite Psalms, because God put them in the Bible, because sometimes that's what it feels like. And it's okay. And so there's a freedom, and like, that's what he wants. That's what he wants. Um, so it, this is the point where he says, and Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness, which that's a whole sermon that I'm not going to preach. And in Romans, that verse is referenced, and so we talked about that a few months ago. But Abram's standing before God. Abram hasn't really done anything to this point. He's just believed in the promise, and that's the gospel, that it's not on our performance. It's on the promised performance of the Lord, that we have trusted in what he's done for us and not what we've done for him. And then there's a little bit of a repeat conversation. So he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But Abram said, O Lord God, how do I know that I'm to possess it? So the first part of the conversation is about the promise of a child, and the second half of the conversation is about the promise of the land. And Abraham's kind of freaking out about both of them. And then the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, and a female goat three years old, and a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And Abram brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half, and when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment... And the nation that they serve, and afterward, they will come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried at a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet um, complete. Okay, this is this line, they shall come back in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete is also a whole other sermon that I can't preach. But if you have questions about the justice and fairness of God's, come back to this verse and spend some time with it, you know. Um, but in this whole thing, like the difficulty of relationship with God and the reality that God is in control, we are working with very limited information and we are on a need-to-know um, basis. And what he does in this little section with Abram, forget about the animals for a second, I'll get to there in just a minute. But what he does with this is, um, you know, people will talk, if you're going to give someone bad news, what do you do? Yeah, you sandwich it, right, with some good news, right? And so you tell him some good news, and then you tell him some bad news, and then you tell him some good news. And so he does that and says, no, no, you're going to have a kid, and I'm going to give you the land. But, you know, this is a conversation I knew we'd have to have at some point, and so I got to tell you a few things. You know, your, your descendants are going to spend a, a 
you know, bit of time, not in this land, but they're going to go down to another land, and it's not going to be great for them in that land, and they're going to go down there, and they're actually going to be slaves to the people of that land, and this little thing is going to last like 400 years. Okay. Uh, so I just imagine Abram being like, wait, did you just say, did you say 400 years? Because <laughs> that's like, that was not what anybody thought was going to happen. 400 years is a long time, right? 400 years, George Washington was riding around here. Like, 400 years. And, uh, but then God says, but then I'll vindicate them, and there will be justice, and they'll come out, and they'll be rich. <laughs> and then he says, and you won't even have to deal with it because you're going to die at a healthy old age before any of this stuff happens. You know what I mean? So, like, good news, some bad news, and some good news. Um, and it's a, it's a, like, he's revealing more of it as the story goes on. I mean, I don't, I get that. Um, God gives you a promise, uh, or a call, you know, or just like, when you start walking, when you start trusting the Lord and, and what he's done for you, the joy of salvation that comes with surrendering to the Lord, and you've got a lot of information, but you don't have all the information, and you've got gaps in that information um, to fill in because you really don't have any idea what the future is going to hold. But I think we tend to fill in the gaps with cotton candy, right? Like, it's all going to be great. And then when, it, especially when it comes to, like, what the Lord's doing, and then when it's not great, we're like, wait a second, why isn't it great? Like, you love me, and so everything should be happy, and everything should be great. And, and it's just not what it always is. And so here, God fills in some of the blanks for Abram and says, your people, the family that I am going to give you, are just going to have to go down, and it'll be hard in a land that's not theirs. A couple weeks ago, I was reading um, Jacob. I'd never seen this before. When um, Jacob, Joseph is down in Egypt, the sons go to Egypt because of the famine, and then they come back, and they're like, Joseph is alive, and we have to go down to Egypt. But Jacob doesn't want to leave Israel because it's the promised land. And God says to him, no, you need to go because it's there that I will make your people a great nation. It's there that I will form them into a great nation and bring them back. Like it's in the hard times. And so that's just going to be the reality that there are some things that are going to be difficult that God is going to have to, is going to have to work on. And that's hard because we want it all and we want it all right now. And we live in a day and a place that encourages to think that we're entitled to all of it right now. And more and more we think that, um, and someone's always trying to sell us something to make us feel like we have it all right now, but in reality, it's so that they can have it all. And we get on social media, and like we compare our worst life to someone else's best life that probably isn't real, because that's what you put on social media. And then we think we don't have it all, and we need to have it all. And so I don't know what that thing is for you where you're disappointed, because things didn't go the way that you're supposed to. Or you're just wondering, like Abraham, like, God, what are you doing here? Um... I'm guessing that something comes to your mind. Do, does something, do you know what it is? Does something come to your mind in the midst of all this stuff? Um, and that could be a million things. Uh, God's not as concerned with our circumstances as he is about relationship, because relationship with him is our most important circumstance. Um, from the beginning to the end of the story. And so whatever that is, like, there is difficulty in it, uh, but there's presence in the midst of it. Now, this 
this part about the animals um, is unbelievable. So the security of relationship with God. Um, he says to, to Abram, bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. And Abram brought all these and cut them in half and laid each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Really weird scene. Uh, so Abram is asked, Lord, how am I going to know that you're going to keep your word? How do I know that you're going to give me the land as a possession? And God answers him, and his answer is strong. He's like, okay, you want to know? We'll make a covenant. Because this is what they did to make a covenant back in that day. This is like the, let's shake on it. Here's a pen, sign it, pinky promise, cross my heart, hope to die, swear on my mother's grave. That's what this is. Um, they didn't have lawyers in Abram's day, so when they would make a deal, this is how they would do it. Um, it's a blood covenant, and they would, and Abram gets it. Like, he says to Abram, get the animals, but he doesn't tell Abram what to do, because Abram knows what to do, because he knows what the Lord is getting at. And they would, in, in these types of covenants, the two parties would walk through um, the animals that are cut up, and it's like saying... May I be like these animals if I do not hold up my part of the deal. Um, and so I, the first time I heard this, someone preached this, it's years ago. I thought, they're making that up. Like, it's unbelievable, but my cynical part is like, that can't be true. And every time I come near this passage, and, you know, these last few weeks, reading a bunch of commentaries, like, all of them say the same thing about this. And the guy I was listening to that had the pause thing, like he added some color to this that was um, unbelievable. So this is, this is the picture that this guy in the podcast put out of like what this would be like. So you can see animals cut in half. And he called, said it's a blood path covenant. They would find a ditch that the blood would drain into so the blood would run through there and the parties would walk through that. And he said this specifically is a covenant that was made between a groom and his future father-in-law before a wedding. And so the groom is the lesser party, and the groom would walk through first. They would actually put on a white robe, and so as he walked through it, blood would splash up on that robe, and it's a way of saying, um, may this happen to me if I don't treat your daughter the way that I say I'm going to treat your daughter, or I don't keep up my end of this, um, of this bargain. Now, what this guy said in... There, there's a part in the story where Abram does this, and then it says he shoes away the, the birds of prey that have come down to feed on the dead animals. And that part has never, it's like been a mystery. Like, what does that mean? And a couple people suggested that that is metaphorical for Abram in the future protecting Israel from something. And I'm like, that doesn't make sense. This guy said that is the implication of the passing of time. So you, there's got to be some time that passes after he does this before birds of prey figure out what's going on and they land on it. And so what he says, and this makes more sense than anything I've ever heard before, is that Abram knows what God has said. Like, we're going to make a covenant. You're the lesser party. You go first. And Abram can't do it. Because Abram knows, like, he's already screwed it up. He's going to screw it up again. And so if he steps on that path, he is signing his own death warrant. And so he just waits and stalls. And then it says, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell on him. 
And when the sun, had, and that's when God says all that stuff about what's going to happen in the future. And then it says, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. And so both parties would normally walk through, and you've got a, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. And this is written in, when they're in the wilderness after the Exodus, after they get out of Egypt, is when, when Moses records the book of Genesis. And so they've just had the situation where God has showed up as, you know, a, a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day that's leading them. So they know exactly who's passing through it. A fire pot and a flaming torch. It's the Lord. There's two parties that pass through it, but both parties are the Lord. And God is saying, if I don't hold up my end of the bargain, I will be destroyed. And if you don't hold up your end of the bargain, I will be destroyed. I said the first time I heard that, I thought, that's amazing. I'm not sure it's true. But everyone says that's exactly what, it's just that amazing. That's the covenant he makes with Abram. And says, to your offspring, I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, to the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. The security of our relationship with the Lord. Our future with him does not rest on our ability to perform, but on God's character. Um... This is the promise throughout the Bible. This is the promise of Genesis 3, 15, when he declares the curse on the serpent and says, um, there's the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, and you'll bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. And so God is going to do something for us that we could not do for ourselves, and that's the gospel. It's going to show up in a few chapters um, when Abram has a kid, Isaac, and God says, go to Mount Moriah and sacrifice your son to me and so abram does it and goes up on mount moriah and lifts the knife and at the very last second god stops him and there's a ram caught in the thicket and so there's substitute sacrifice and that's what he's saying is i will provide the sacrifice uh it's going to happen i mean it just happened for these people that are listening to this in the passover when they leave egypt and the 10th plague is the angel of death and he says that's going to hit all of egypt including Goshen, where the Israelites were, unless you take a lamb, the Passover lamb, the without blemish lamb, sacrifice him and put the blood of the lamb on the lintels of your doorpost, and the angel of death will pass over you because a substitute has died in your place. He says it over and over again. Um, and Jesus was, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is the lamb. And he does all that during the Passover ceremony. He gives us life. The Old Testament sacrificial system, the whole thing is meant to say, you sin and someone dies in your place. There's a substitute. And it, all of it is tied together and, and in this scene. We all want, at our core, some, we want that state. We want someone to love us. And accept us exactly as we are. Uh, I think almost all of us are pretty scared of anybody knowing exactly who we are. We don't even want to look at exactly who we are. Because there are things in there that aren't good that either we can't fix or we don't even want to fix. Um, 
and we want someone that we can be totally honest with and safe. And that's what he is. And that's what he says over and over and over again. And he's not going to like accept you where you are and keep you where you are. He's going to, he's going to change you because the rest of you knows that you need this. But even when you screw it up, like he's got both sides of the deal. Um, reflecting back on our kids and raising our kids, I think there are two things everyone needs to teach their kids. The first one is, I love you no matter what. You are safe in this relationship, you know? Um, I used to say to our kids when they were little, you're a good kid and I love you, um, but even if you become a bad kid, I'm, it's not going to change the fact that I love you. And everybody should teach their kids that, you know? But the second thing you need to teach your kids is actions have consequences. And you're not a perfect kid, and in the simplest ways, um, your actions. Like, say you leave your dishes next to the sink for four days, and your dad is practicing a sermon next to that sink on a random Sunday morning, then it might frustrate him a little bit because your actions have consequences. I don't know. Um, like, you're, it just is the truth, and that's the safest place to learn that was within your family with a love that surrounds it, and we can't do what he does. And that's what we want. And he he does it over and over again, and it's a phenomenal picture. You know, like I've said this, like in our art, we see it. The movie that I thought about this week was Armageddon, the one with Bruce Willis and Ben Affleck on the asteroid trying to save the world. But at the end of that movie, Bruce Willis and Ben Affleck are in the capsule together, and they're going to drill the hole and do the nuclear thing. And what, is, what does Bruce Willis do with Ben Affleck at the very end? He pushes him out and says, I got this. You go home. Is that not exactly what God just does to Abram? <laughs> Let's make a covenant. We'll walk through it together. Psych. You're going to sleep. I got it because you can't. But I can and I will because I love you. And you're, this is going to be hard. But you're safe with me. That's unbelievable. Um, I'm going to ask the band to come back up. Uh, I'm going to ask you guys just to bow your heads and close your eyes for a second. And um, just as they're getting ready, take a minute to rest in the freedom that you have in your relationship with God. I mean, the reality that it's a challenge, and you can lament that, and it's okay, and everybody's in the same boat to some extent, different ways, but to some extent. But the security that you have in your relationship with the Lord, and that you've trusted what Christ has done for you, you cannot screw it up. Um, the subtitle for this series was Following a God Who Keeps His Promises, and God Keeps His Promises. What comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you, and it is going to shape your relationship with God, with yourself, with the people around you, with the situations you encounter. And from the very beginning, he's telling us who he is.